Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, good evening. I'm back. Thanks for tuning in. I was away uh, last weekend, and uh, it feels like I've been away for a really long time. I um, was in three different provinces uh, in the past week, and they all happen to be the three provinces where I've lived in my entire life. Um, I've got a great show coming up for you tonight. I also want to tell you about a really great contest that I have. I'll tell you about that in a couple of minutes and how you can enter. Um, So as I mentioned, in one week, uh, all three provinces that I've lived in. So as many of you know, I grew up in Nova Scotia. So I went back there uh, last week. Um, I usually go about this time of year, the end of April. My, My dad's birthday is April 29th. So I usually go somewhere you know, within a couple of days of his birthday, even though we don't really do anything big, but he just uh, he just turned seventy six, and usually when I go in April, I know I'm cutting it kind of close, but by the end of April, winter is usually usually over in Nova Scotia, and you'll get a couple of like mild ish days, like you know maybe ten eleven degrees, but at least there might be a little something growing on the trees, or you see little bits of green on the ground, and maybe like a, a flower trying to peek through. This is very typical at the end of April uh, in Halifax. Well, they had such a terrible winter this year. They got walloped with so much snow on the East Coast that when I was there just a week ago, there was still snow on the ground. In fact, when the plane was just like about to land and you're overlooking um, all the forests and stuff, and of course there's nothing on the tree so you can see the ground really well, they were all snow covered. The ground was just snow in in the woods and then um, it poured rain for a day and a half when I was there, like serious torrential downpours. And typically, you know, when it rains, it usually gets rid of whatever snow is on the ground. It rained so much, but there was so much snow, it didn't even get rid of all the snow. So um, my, my parents, like at the end of their driveway, there's still like remnants of dirty snow banks, even though there's nothing left on their front yard. But um, they have this little pond uh, in the back of their house, in the back of the neighbor's house. Actually, it's mostly in the back of the neighbor's house, behind my parents' house. It just looks like swamp. Um, so we kind of look to the back of the neighbor's house. And and that was still partially frozen. So this was like very end of April, you know, leading up into May. There's probably still snow on the ground there. Um, but uh, And then I was in Winnipeg, so I just got back today. I'll tell you a bit about what I was doing there. Um, I When I was home, um, I actually recorded uh, an interview with my dad. So as I mentioned, he just turned 76 this week. Uh, so I actually recorded an interview with him uh, for a story that I'm I'm writing about him on Vice, which is a website, and they have a food section called Munchies. And I was asked to write a story about him and, and my mom a little bit, about my family, because I, if you follow me on social media at all, on Twitter, on Facebook or Instagram, um, I often quote some of the things that they say very entertaining. Um, or I, you know, talk about just the the random interesting things that it that many people can probably relate to if you have parents who are immigrants. So I don't think I um, am all that unique in that way. But I think the reason people um, find them entertaining is because you can relate in some way, or at least you can relate to, you know, having parents that are older, and maybe suddenly feeling like now you're the parent a little bit, like having to hustle them out the door or, you know, walking out the door and then having them turn around and not know where their cell phone is or their keys are. So it's kind of a role reversal. Um, so as I was mentioning, um, 
the uh, the food editor at uh, Munchies asked if I would maybe do an interview with my dad and write a story. And it's funny because I've, I've talked a little bit about how my dad, when uh, my parents immigrated from Taiwan in 1977, I was a year old, and uh, they, after a few years, um, as a business that they had for most of my childhood and into my 20s was that my dad made tofu. And I've talked about that a little bit. So some of you, if you if you listen regularly, then you know that I've mentioned that. Um, he doesn't do it as much anymore. He does it, he makes a little bit just to sell at the farmer's market on Saturdays. But before that, that was like his seven day a week job was trying to um, sell enough tofu to, you know, put food on the table and, and uh, raise a family of four. So I asked him about uh, making tofu in Nova Scotia in the 80s and the 90s, the time when there wasn't really at all a huge demand for tofu. Uh, and there wasn't really a large Asian population to support it either. You know, it's not like being here maybe in Chinatown where you could make a certain ethnic food and there's enough people there who are familiar with it who would be purchasing it and, and that way your business would thrive. Um, so because of the story, I, I asked him certain details to kind of get, get the timeline straight. So I do remember when I was very, very young that my parents owned a little corner store. So like many immigrants who are new to the country, um, they end up starting their own small business in some way. And then oftentimes it's a, a language issue because they weren't fluent in English. You know, my mom kind of joked when I was recording this interview, she's like, who's going to hire your dad? He couldn't even speak English. He only knew 25 letters of the alphabet. He always forgot one and it was always a different one. Um, so I actually asked him some questions that I never really bothered to ask him before. So I do remember this corner store and I was very young. I wasn't even in school yet because in my mind, it was the best thing in the world. Like your parents kind of own a candy store. Um, but it was really interesting because, you know, when you first move to a country, you don't really know anyone and you don't have friends. Thankfully, they had my uncle who was here who sponsored them to come over and and who helped them in many ways. Um, but I, I learned a lot about how difficult it was. Not that I ever thought it was easy for my parents. But, for example, they owned this corner store in a not very good part of Halifax and in the year and a half that they owned this store, and even, see, I didn't know it was a year and a half. When you're a child, it seems like forever. You have no sense of time. They were robbed five times, five times in a year and a half. And that was really shocking to me because I always heard this story through the um, daughter of a family friend that she's like, oh, yeah, didn't you know your mom was held up at gunpoint when you were a kid? I never knew that. Why would my mom ever tell me that? And, of course, I would never ask that when I was older. So what my parents, uh, what they did was my dad would work the store in the mornings earlier in the day. Then my mom, who would have been in her late 20s with two little kids, I would have been a, a toddler, you know, maybe three and four. My brother would have been a baby. Um, she would take the bus to the store. Then she would work sort of the middle of the day, so my dad could go home and rest a bit. And then he would come back, and he would work the night, the evening. And they did this for a year and a half, where they all, only the two of them could work. They didn't have money to hire someone to work there. Um, you know, there were they had two little kids. My mom was telling me, she kind of laughed, because now I guess in hindsight you can laugh it off, and she said, oh, your dad was so scared at night that he would sit in the car in front of the store until a customer walked in, and then he would go in because they were robbed so many times. And then she said at night, like, you know, if they were going to sleep or in bed and the phone rang, they would jump. Like, just the sound always startled them. And uh, I just thought, that is crazy, because it's not like this is something that is just in the past. This happens all the time. We hear about it all the time, like convenience store owners being held up, being robbed. Sometimes it's very violent. Um, 
and I just, I thought, wow, I did not know this part of my parents' history and of my history. So it kind of reminded me of why I have this, I have a soft spot for small family-run businesses, whether it's a dry cleaner, a convenience store, whatever it is, because I really relate to them. I, I know what the struggle is like. So the whole, do I have a point to my story? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, um, you know, if you if you have a little family-run store near you, whatever it may be, make conversation with them. Get to know them. You know, it's I'm sure they would love to know and have a friendly face in the neighborhood because those are long days. It's a tough job. It's not you don't make a lot of money selling a pack of gum. I can tell you that. Um, but and also, you know, it's worth asking your parents about their history, especially if you know that they may have struggled at some point, because I just kind of pieced together stories and I didn't really know. So it was really quite insightful. Um, and I'll be writing about this, of course, later on. And then I was in Winnipeg, as I mentioned, uh, for a two-day farm and food conference put on by the canola growers. I just got back this morning. I'm a little out of it. I, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, Elliot. Uh, I walked up the wrong street to get to the building. Like, I was I was so out of it. I was walking along um, Adelaide instead of Richmond, and I'm like, where's the door to the building? That's how – I'm a little bit spacey right now. It is a confusing <laughs> district in some ways, though. Well, I mean – I have walked here many times. Oh, I should I not have been on the wrong street. A little bit embarrassing. Um, anyway, I want to tell you about what's coming up on the show. Oh, and this contest, of, of course. So if you go to my website, paychen.com, click on blogs, you will see that I'm giving away a Rowenta Silence Force Extreme Multi-Cyclonic Vacuum. It's a little bit wordy. Basically, it is a really great vacuum valued at almost $600, and I'll be uh, drawing randomly for a winner this week, but you have to enter on my website, Paychen.com, a great gift for yourself, perhaps even a great Mother's Day gift, but it will not arrive before Mother's Day. So I'll just tell you that. So again, you can go online and uh, find out more about that. Uh, coming up, I've been hearing a lot about the health benefits of fermented foods. I don't really know what that means, except I don't want to eat sauerkraut every day. I like kimchi, but again, I don't know how many times a day I can eat it. So I'll talk to a Toronto nutritionist about the magic of fermented foods and why we should be eating more of it. That's coming up just after the break. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. <laughs> This is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoy the great uh, weather that we had this weekend. I was, as I mentioned, in Winnipeg this weekend, and uh, they went up to 28 degrees yesterday, which was fantastic, although I was indoors most of the uh, most of the time. Um, so I, I'm sure some of you know that I, I enjoy food. I enjoy eating a lot. Um, that is the reason why I just gave away almost all of my jeans because they don't fit anymore. <laughs> but I'm, I am very interested in, you know, what I'm supposed to eat to keep me healthy. So then when someone says you should be eating quinoa, I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to love quinoa. You should eat you know, chia seeds. Great. I'm going to do that. Um, you know, hemp seeds, all that. So then in the past year, I've noticed a lot more buzz about uh, the health benefits of fermented foods. And I thought, well, you know, I kind of like fermented foods. That's cool. But I know I don't eat them. Well, I definitely don't eat them every day. And I was never really clear about why I should be eating more of them. So I've got uh, Megan Telpner on the line. She's a nutritionist and author of uh, Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health. Hey, Megan. 
Hi, Pei. How are you? Um, well, I'm looking forward to this little chat because I'm not even clear exactly what fermented foods are. I know, for example, like kimchi is one, and I really like that. Yes, kimchi is one. So fermented foods are foods that are sort of partially digested already. So they're amazing sources of these good bacteria that help rebound our gut microflora. And you'd mentioned fitting into your genes. Well, there's new research that's just come out about fermented foods and how they can actually help promote weight loss as a way of oh my God. our gut microflora. <laughs> They'll help balance satiation and our appetite and help with improved digestion. So I... So I know that kimchi is one, but I don't know what other common fermented foods are that people might have access to or that maybe they're already familiar with. Probably one of the most common ones that most people are familiar with are pickles. That's a oh, fermented food. Okay. Um, I love pickles. Sauerkraut. Yeah. Yep. Sauerkraut, yogurt. Um, kombucha has recently gotten very mm -hmm. popular, whether it's in the supermarket. Some bars now make kombucha cocktails. So can you just so, describe what kombucha is for our listeners that aren't familiar with it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a fermented tea beverage, and it's actually made with this symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, which we call the SCOBY. And this yeast is like, kind of sounds gross, but it's like a mushroom that feeds oh. off caffeine <laughs> and sugar, kind of like most people. But it breaks down that caffeine and sugar and produces these live bacteria and live enzymes. So it's a little bit fizzy and a little bit sweet. It's a really nice soda pop alternative. Yeah, but I've unlike... had kombucha and I really liked it. Um, I just didn't know. I didn't know what it was. I just was, I was <laughs> like, oh, this is nice. It's it's yeah. kind of it's like tangy and it's refreshing. Uh, I didn't yeah. know why I was drinking it. Let's put it. That it just... It's good for the liver. It's good for digestion. Okay. Promote good skin, good complexion. So all sorts of good reasons. So the benefits of because it gets a little confusing, Megan. I'm sure you get this a, lo a lot because we're often told like eat more of this, eat more of this, or we you know we know the things. I think that we should eat less of, you know, fried foods and sweets and that. But then when it comes to things that are good for us, it um, it becomes a bit confusing. Like, you know, recently I, uh, you know, started working out more. So I wanted to increase my um, protein. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I should be looking at fiber, how much fiber is in the foods that I'm eating. So fermented foods, like how much of that should we be eating and how could that maybe change the way we feel? That's a great question. And we sort of are of the mindset of, you know, if something's good for us, then more of it will be better. And fermented foods don't actually work that way. If you have too much fermented foods at once, if you're not used to it, you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it in your belly with bloating and gas. So the best thing you can do is to start with small amounts throughout the day, you know, a little bit with every meal. So, for example, in your smoothie, you can add a probiotic supplement or even a fermented food supplement, like the um, fermented vegan proteins plus from Genuine Health is a great thing that you can add into your smoothies. Mm -hmm. Then for your lunches, you can add a little bit of sauerkraut or kimchi on the side of your salads or on your sandwiches. And then at dinner, you can have, again, maybe it's a pickle or pickled carrots or, you know, there's all these artisanal kind of fermented right. foods you can have or having yogurt or a frozen yogurt dessert that you can make yourself. So little bits throughout the day will be really helpful in helping us restore that gut ecology that is so fundamental for our overall health, for our digestive health, for bringing, uh, strengthening and rebalancing our immune system, for reducing inflammation, for improving our skin and our complexion. 
So it has sort of a total body benefit, and it's really about having small amounts consistently throughout the day. Okay, because I would imagine most people, um, like out of the examples that you've given, um, not everyone has pickles every day, but, you know, there are people who might start their day with um, yogurt, for example. Is all yogurt fermented, or is it certain types of yogurt? Well, if if you want it for the health benefits, you're probably going to want to go with a natural, full-fat yogurt that's unflavored. And so if you want strawberry yogurt, add your own strawberries. If you want Mm -hmm. to sweeten, add a little bit of honey and vanilla extract, that will be sort of your best bet. And something we have to remember, too, is that in every culture sort of outside North America, there is a fermented food as part of their traditional condiments, whereas our traditional condiments Hmm. of, like, ketchup and relish are just sugar for the most part. And um, so something like if if people are used to eating sauerkraut regularly or kimchi, which I think is becoming a little bit more mainstream, but still not in everyone's fridge, for example, Um, but pickled anything, is that considered a fermented food? Pretty much. What you want to look for when you're buying them is the really good kind of pickled food that's the for actual fermented pickled foods will be in the refrigerator section of most supermarkets. Oh, okay. What you want to look for on the ingredient list is that typically the only ingredients in a real fermented food will be the food itself and salt and maybe a culture. Um, often we'll see um, fermented foods sort of lining the grocery sh- the grocery aisles that have a lot of vinegars and sugars in them. And that's sort of a sign that they may taste fermented. Really, they've just been preserved in vinegar, so may not have all those good bacterial benefits. Okay, that's a really good point because I think most pickles that people buy are just off the, like off the shelf. So it's, yeah. vine- it's vinegar, salt, and maybe a bit of sugar. And that's, yeah. not cons- that's not what you should be eating by the jar full. No, but we can also easily make our own. Just fill a jar with your little pickling cucumbers, which will be coming up really soon, which is amazing. And you fill that jar with water and then pour that water back out to measure it. For every cup of water you need to cover those cucumbers, add like a half to one tablespoon of sea salt. Mm -hmm. And you can ferment that on your counter for, you know, three to five days until they taste like you want them to. Put them in your fridge and you're done. So you don't need vinegar. It's just salt. Yeah, salt and the water itself is it forms this lactic acid fermentation, and that's where we're getting that good bacteria. So, is there um, a certain amount we? I know that when we talk about protein or iron and other things, we we talk in terms of like serving sizes and grams. Is there any sort of, um, I guess, amount that we should aim towards every day? If you're introducing a fermented food and it's like brand new and you've never taken even a probiotic, you're going to want to start even with a teaspoon and work your way up to a tablespoon just so that your body starts to get used to all of this bacteria as you're essentially re-inoculating it with the good guys, the guys that are going to help balance us out and make us feel good. And uh, you, so for people who want to like a grab and go option, which is, um, I think, something that makes it a little bit easier for us to include the good for us things in our diet, um, yeah. you had given us some examples. So like um, a certain protein powders, for example. Yeah. So the Genuine Health has actually has two fermented products. One is the fermented vegan proteins and one is a whole body, which is a greens powder. So those are super easy to throw into your shakes if you're making them, whether it's for breakfast or for a snack or if it's something you just have at work that you'll shake up with a little bit of water or almond milk or your favorite juice 
that makes it super simple. Another really easy grab and go one that most people don't think about is miso. And miso oh, paste I love miso. Can be, yeah, <laughs> so that's a fermented food. And that can be stirred right into hot water. Like you get your jar of miso paste, stir mm-hmm. that into hot water, and you can sip on that which is also an amazing way to stave off sweet cravings because it's so mineral rich and, and really helps to balance out those cravings because of that mineral balance in it. Now, is there a, a risk of having too much salt if we consume some of these high or these fermented foods? Just I think of things like pickles and miso. I'm not, I know it's kind of salty, but um, should we be watching that in any way? I'm not too concerned about the salt, specifically when we're fermenting. Usually if we're using sort of a whole salt or a sea salt, it tastes salty, but it's also a balance of minerals. So it's not just sodium, but a whole bunch of minerals. And all of those minerals have more of a salty taste. Oh, right. So that's what, so it's the, so if we're looking for pickle things, we should, they should be in the refrigerated section, not uh, on the shelf next to the mustard and the the ketchup. Exactly. And then ideally they list like a kosher salt or sea salt or Himalayan salt. If it's just a table salt, there will be a higher level of sodium in it. But again, if we're starting with, you know, a tablespoon, Mm -hmm. we're fine. We don't have to think about it. Okay, great. So then we'll feel better and, um, and our, our gut will be happy. Yes. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Megan. My pleasure. I appreciate it. That's Megan Telpner. She's a nutritionist in Toronto, also the author of Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health. Uh, Just also a quick reminder, if you're just tuning in right now, that uh, I do have a great giveaway on my website. It's your chance to win a fantastic Rowenta vacuum valued at almost $600. So I've Got uh, it up on my website, paychen.com. Just click on blogs and you'll see where I've written up about it a little bit. And then you can just enter there. And I'll be drawing for that um, this week. So it could be a great Mother's Day gift, except that it will arrive after Mother's Day. So just don't be disappointed if you win and it's not there on Sunday. Um, Coming up after the break, we'll actually talk a little bit about Mother's Day. I mean, you might have some ideas about what you're going to do for mom or send some flowers, take her for brunch. Um, But I am going to talk to uh, a Canadian singer and songwriter who had a really fantastic experience um, with SOS Children's Villages. And uh, and I think that, uh, you know, for $25, you could help out uh, a village raising orphans. And I think it's there's nothing more perfect for a Mother's Day gift than to help out another woman who is basically mothering um, children that have been uh, abandoned by their own family. So I'll tell you how you can get involved with that. You are listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010 here until 9 p.m. every Sunday evening. And again, the website, paychen.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Chen. Very easy. Seven letters. Couldn't be simpler. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. For just a moment in time, you became mine when the wind swept me close to you. But now the day has to end. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to The Pei Chen Show. That is uh, a new song by Canadian singer-songwriter Amanda Martinez, who's on the line with me now. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Pei. Lovely to meet you. You too. Now, that's a beautiful song, and I know that uh, you're releasing it this week, right, on the May 7th? That's right. Okay. And the money that... Uh, 
The proceeds from that song are going towards SOS Children's Villages. And I know that you're an ambassador and you were there recently. You were sorry, in Namibia recently yeah. um, taking on the role of an SOS mother for a week. Yeah. So I know that this is all sort of new information for the, our listeners. So let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about what SOS Children's Villages does. Sure. SOS Children's Villages is an international organization that uh, helps abandoned and orphaned children around the world. And they do that by taking in these kids and uh, providing food, shelter, education, health care, and really uh, a loving home um, for these kids. So in an SOS village, you can find between... Um, uh, eight and ten children in a family, and uh, there's a number of uh, household families in the village, and uh, each each family operates as its own unique household and is uh, looked after by an SOS mother who's a locally trained uh, woman uh, who looks after these kids as if they were her own. But that's quite a commitment. That's not like, um, you know, I'll, oh, I'll take care of them for a little bit or uh, I'll watch them for the summer. It's you know, this woman is deciding to raise multiple children, yeah. um, you know, through through childhood up until I guess maybe, you know, they're 18 or so and and able to go off on their own. So that's a that's a lot to ask of someone. Yeah, and it's um, what, what's amazing about it is that it's not just like an orphanage. Like these children, once they leave the home, they still come back and visit the moms, and um, they really operate like a real family. And uh, that was what was so amazing to me to see these children, even though a lot of them were not from the same family, because SOS does try and keep siblings together. Um, if they were to, you know, lose, if they if there was more than one sibling in a family and they mm. lost their parents, they try and keep them in one home. Um, but the ones that were not, you know, blood related, we just really, you could see the love for each other and they just don't take each other for granted and they really take care of one another. And that was what was so beautiful to me to see. So who are these, who are these women? They're women from the community who uh, maybe, do they have children of their own as well? And generally, they don't have children of their own mm -hmm. because when they're on site, they 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 have to be by themselves. They if they're married, their their spouses live live off site. Right. And um and so it's usually women that don't have children of their own, um that do this. Um, but you know it's it's incredible work. And I have uh, three children of my own. I've got twins that are three. They just turned three and a six year old. And I was expecting like this you know total mayhem when I went <laughs> down there. But these kids are so well looked after that. It was actually like they, the way they run their family and their household was actually less chaotic than, you know, with oh, eight wow. of them there than my house here with, with three little ones. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's a big age difference between each of the kids. They, I mean, they were uh, essentially from three years old to 15, mm -hmm. and the 15-year-old really um, was one of the first ones to be brought into this family. So she learned kind of the ropes of how things work and took pride in the, the way she was trained to do the chores around the house. And then she would, you know, help the other ones. So they all had a sense of pride about how they would look after each other and the house so, with their mom. So you spent a week in Namibia just to see what uh, one of these villages was like, and I guess, you know, what happens day to day. Yeah. Um, so what was that like for you? Um, it was an incredible experience. I mean, I was really thrown into it. Um, and, uh, I mean, they, we, we filmed this experience. So it was, um, you know, from five in the morning when they would wake up. Well, oh, wow. <laughs> they would go to bed. I mean, they, they all would go to school. So, um, 
um, it was just uh, an incredible experience overall. Um, these kids were so joyful. They had so much love for one another and then such excitement to see me there mm-hmm. um, that it was a really wonderful experience and it was really hard to leave. Um, you know, as much as I miss my kids at home, you get attached to these kids and uh, um, that's what really inspired the song. So uh, how are these, so these kids are for the most part orphaned, I guess, perhaps some abandoned. Um... Yeah, or in some cases their parents have gotten sick and they just can't look after them or their circumstances don't allow them to. So then how do they come to the attention of um, the organization or of the, you know, the SOS mothers or of someone who is, you know, in a village? That, that's a very good question. I think there are probably a number of ways that they they find out. I know that they, they the SOS also operates a family strengthening program where they go out into the community and they try and keep families together rather than having to bring the kids into this um, village. But hmm. they explained it to me almost that it's like winning the lottery because this is a very protected area where the kids can run free. They can um, they almost have like an open door policy where they can run in between the houses and they you know they really have such a community um, sense of community. Um, in terms of how they actually end up there, I would think it is through the community work that SOS is doing. So they're getting to know other, not just the ones that they bring into the family, into this village, but also the, the families that they're working with who might be going through very difficult circumstances. And I was on the website for SOS Children's Villages just to find out a little bit more. And um, and as you mentioned, their, uh, their goal is, is they raise orphaned and abandoned children. Um, and they do this all around the world. So, you know, you happen to be in Namibia, which I was in a month ago by the way so it was kind of yeah (laughs) i was uh, on safari through the north so it's a really beautiful country it is and and we saw a lot of local kids and um you know and i can see where certain areas might have this need um but uh, the work that uh, sos children's villages does is actually to help children all over the world and i just wanted to point out that um for our listeners especially because we've been hearing about the devastation in nepal that that isn't uh so they're also there helping um, you know, kids who have been, you know, displaced or who've been separated from their parents or who have perhaps lost their families. So you can, if you want to choose, you know, what area you want your money to go to, you can do that. What I was really amazed by is that you can um, sponsor a village for $25 a month. Like that really shocked me. I thought, oh, it's going to be really expensive to sponsor a village. But it was very low cost. And I just thought this is a really wonderful Mother's Day gift because it's just the perfect meaning of, you know, mother and child in many ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, um, another mother campaign that I've been a part of, which shows that if you go online, um, you'll see, um, a a little video where you can see me and the kids. Um, there's also an opportunity to send a free e-card, um, through SOS Children's Villages to um, the mother in your life. And I encourage people to, to do just that, to also, um, if you're able to make a donation, and no donation is too small, um, the money really goes a, a long way. So the uh, the website is soschildrensvillages.ca. Um, and Amanda, when you were there, I guess, what um, what surprised you the most? You know what, I think for me, I, I, what surprised me was that here I was halfway around the world, and yet so many of the same issues that I deal with here with my kids are very similar to what they're dealing with there. And although, um, although you know, they have a lot less um, than we do, um, they're, they're, they, they have such a pride and there's such a joy. And, and I almost felt like when I came back that, 
um, I just saw like the abundance that we have and I, and I really made me rethink, you know, how much is actually necessary for kids and how much actually complicates their life. You know, when they get so many toys, you know, I just think the simpler, like there's just, you know, there's less, just less, I don't know, just is, it just seems like it's almost a happier way to live. Well, it's, it's, um, I, I, what I noticed too is like the kids, they just, they will find ways to entertain themselves. They don't nece- necessarily have the greatest toys or electronics, but then they're running around outside a bit more. Those are your kids in the background, is, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, you can hear my kids in the background. Yeah, I can. <laughs> um, I, um, yeah, but it's, it, it, it was just, um, uh, an an incredible experience and 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 as you say like with with less there's also like less clutter and and they just would I would see them outside and they would just be playing you know and just totally entertained rather than for example sitting in front of a computer yeah and with the video games yeah. for sure so uh, what happens to the kids I guess when they they get they finish school do then do they move out on their own is that what typically happens yeah they really try and encourage the the children to um, be able to attend. Uh, post-secondary institution, and um, I recently met um, a graduate um, from the program who's now studying at McGill University. And oh, wow. Just, yeah, they really um, try and foster, um, you know, the growth and, and for, for, for each child to, to reach their full potential. They're given so many opportunities. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really giving children an, another chance in, at life and, and giving them back their childhood. Yeah, and, you know, all of this great work, of course, requires money. So that is, you know, the uh, reason why we're speaking is to let people know that um, there are ways that they can donate. And, and as you mentioned, no donation is too small. So soschildrensvillages.ca. And Amanda, your song uh, is coming out uh, on the 7th, so just in a couple of days. That's right, yes. And, and the proceeds from that, which will be on iTunes. Um, it's called Under African Skies. We'll be going to SOS Children's Villages. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. So that's uh, Amanda Martinez. She is a Canadian singer and songwriter. If you want to find out more about her, her website is amandamartinez.ca. And there you can actually, uh, when her uh, page loads, you can click and uh, hear a little preview of the song that she's talking about. And if you want to purchase a song, then the proceeds will go towards the charity. So I just think that's a nice, I think it's a great Mother's Day gift, you know. It's always nice to do something special for mom, but... uh, you know, maybe if you got a few extra dollars, you can make a donation and make a real difference to um, to a kid somewhere else in the world. Paychan.com is the website if you want to find out uh, about podcasts that you may have missed and uh, all kinds of other stuff is there too. All kinds of goodies. is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back. Uh, Vinny White's going to pop in. I just realized, Elliot, that I don't know where Vinny is. <laughs> I believe he is still prepping his show for the next hour. Can you check and see if he's, uh, I think he's lost track of time. Would you like him in the studio yes, now? Yes, please. That'd be fantastic. Okay. You should be here already. But um, just a reminder, too, if you're just tuning in, that uh, I am giving away a $560 Rowenta Vacuum on my website. That's paychen.com. Just you'll find uh, the information if you click under blogs. It will be the most recent post that's up there. And you just enter online. It's that easy for your chance to win. You don't have to sign up for anything or do any sort of weird tricks. Um, 
you can if you want and send me the video. That'd be fantastic. And I'll be drawing for that um, this week. And I've also got a couple of other giveaways that are coming up this week as well. So it's always great to check back into my website um, or follow me on Twitter at PayChen. I usually put information up there. Uh, as I mentioned, I was uh, in Halifax for a couple of days where it was still winter. It was terrible. Uh, and then I was in Winnipeg these past uh, two days. I flew back this morning. Um, which is why I'm just a little bit spacey. I know that. And um, so when I was out there with the um, canola growers, it was kind of like a farm and food conference and workshop. It, it's really cool. They bring out a couple of different people, a lot of dietitians, so a lot of people who are in the health and nutrition industry, and a couple of people like myself who uh, work in media and do a lot with food and, and talking to uh, food producers and, and people of that sort. And uh, we got to visit a couple of great places. First of all, I had no idea that in Winnipeg, the Canadian International Grains Institute exists. It sounds lame because you hear the word institute, but they're this independent development institute. So they occupy a bunch of floors in this tall building. And um, what they do is they provide like research, product development, um, expertise to people all over the world to help them develop grain products. So when you think grain typically in Canada, you think of flour. Um, they also educate them about, you know, what kind of flour uh, might be best for the products they want. And as I mentioned, this is like they do work internationally. And so they have to be very aware of what uh, is culturally, um, I guess, uh, common and what is expected of certain, even something as simple as noodles. Think of like almost every culture or country has a form of noodles, but they're very different. They're talking about how, you know, ramen noodles in China are a totally different product than ramen noodles in Japan. And we all know ramen noodles as like Mr. Noodle, for example. Um, but it was really cool to learn that uh, Canadian wheat, and we should all be very proud of this, and this is why we should support our farmers. Um, Canadian wheat is known as some of the best quality product in the world. And that is why uh, so many countries want Canadian wheat. And that there are certain countries they, they talked about who always want the best quality product. So Japan, for example, will have no problem uh, paying a premium for the best quality Canadian wheat because they want the best product for their noodles, like, you know, their national dish in many ways. Um, and there was also, this is, I don't even know, I didn't even know that these sorts of jobs existed. A lot of these people have like food science backgrounds and things, but there was an entire area, it was like a giant production kitchen um, where they basically test baking products all the time. Like they will try out different, you know, uh, grinds of flour and they just imagine that your job is to bake bread all the time, but not to sell it, not at a bakery, but your job is to bake bread or bake cookies and just see, you know, which flour works best, which combination of flour with water and a bit of oil um, creates the best product for North America versus the kind of bread that they might want in Europe. Anyway, it was, it was quite interesting. Vinny White's just joined me. Uh, hello. Hello, Vinny. When I was in Winnipeg, up until this morning, I also visited the Canadian Malting Barley Technical Center. What they do there, and I think you will like this because you enjoy beer, um, they have this unique brewing lab that can duplicate different kinds of beer from all over the world. So they have this brewing facility that can basically recreate mm. the beer that's popular in any part of the world. And they use it as like a training and research facility as well. Mm. Um, but it's not, um, so they brew beer all the time, 
but it's not um, a store. They don't sell it. So they sample, of course, and they test. So the guy said uh, that they pour out 90% of the beer that they make. That's wasteful. That's heartbreaking. Because I think a lot of people would buy that, but he's like, "Well, we're not, uh, we're not a store. It's worth so buying we, the place they... next door <laughs> and then plugging into their sewage yeah. and seeing if you can get a bit back." Now you're playing with fire because it could go wrong. It could, yes. You might end up sampling the toilets, but what yeah. you really want there is to siphon off some of that goodness. But could you? So we went through there as a tour, and they, you know, we sampled the beer that they had, but um, they were saying that yeah, they have people all from all over the world, all different representatives from different beer companies and countries that will come there to, you know, talk about barley and malting and and, um, that this actual facility that they have is just so unique because they can make the same kind of beer that you have. They can make your popular beer from Japan, you know, from Russia, whatever. So one day there might be a machine where you put barley, malt, et cetera, in there and water and stuff in there. And then in the other end of the machine, you just pour, I don't know, a bottle of Heineken and it can mimic it. And pour out an endless supply of Heineken. Well, well, and then it just goes down the drain. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm passing that. I'm going over <laughs> that to where we could go with this. By the way, what were you doing in Winnipeg? And why do I sound so terrible? Why on the do you microphone? sound so like? Did you have a nap? Did you just wake no, up? No, I didn't. You I, sound like you just. I've woke got up. a very light. Well, what I thought was a light cold, but apparently you on know, a microphone, I sound like I'm dying. You sound a little scratchy. Uh, I well, I was just mentioning that I was there for a like a farm and food conference with a canola grower. So just kind of learning about agriculture and our food and that sort of connection. But so you were in, things. You were in um, Halifax the week before, weren't you? Yes, visiting my folks. Who do you think in you the are? Winter. Just gallivanting around the Ga- countryside. Gallivanting to Halifax where it was winter and then to Winnipeg where the weather was actually quite beautiful, but we were indoors almost the yeah. entire time. Um, a bit of rock and roll, aren't you? You going to Vancouver I tonight? I am a rock star, but I really wish I was going to rock star places and staying and really you know, like five-star hotels. Doesn't get more rock and roll than winner. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, what's coming up on your show? Uh, I'm going to talk about my weekend in Ottawa and theft. I was a victim of theft. What did they steal? I don't want to give it away on your show. Okay, fine, whatever. That's why you have to listen. Nah. What What did they steal? Apart from apparently my voice, yes. what did they have was off it me? Was a large monetary value or more of sentimental value? Oh, maybe we could do a text in. If anyone gets it right... I will give you a prize. The value was $101.70. Okay. So make of that what you are. What did Vinny have stolen? Coming up on the Vinny White Show. His entire wardrobe. Um... Two (laughs) (laughs) T-shirts and a pair of ripped boxer shorts. Hey, do you think, I I just found this story. Um, If you saw, and and during the winter, if you saw deer in your backyard and it looked like they were starving, they looked like they weren't eating, would you not... Feed them? Would you not put a f- bit of food out for no, them? No, I wouldn't feed them, no. Well, people do that. But this is my thing is that where my parents live, for example, my dad is a bird feeder. So I should put... mention at this point that I live on Bathurst Street in downtown Toronto. I know, but if you So I'd probably have... call the police. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is going on also, right now? Also, being that I don't have a back garden, it would be particularly freaky to see a deer in my back garden. Well, I live in a condo a couple of floors up, so that would be a bit strange. Um, but people put out food for like bird feeders, which my dad does regularly. And then he complains that the squirrels take all the food from the birds. Yeah. Um, but like they have deer in their backyard sometimes. Uh, and I think like if you, in the winter, and plus they had a terrible winter, I do believe that if I was 
at my parents' house and I saw them looking very hungry and there was so much snow and they couldn't find food, I would leave food for them. Can you just define exactly how you know when a deer's hungry from this look? It would be thin and it would look at me with sad eyes. Oh, unlike deer's normal eyes, which are always extravagantly happy. They would happy. probably come close to the house because they're just looking for food and they would knock on the window and be like, Sorry, one, run back, last couple of words back. They'd knock on the window. So a hooved, brown-eyed, <laughs> sad individual. I was just doing that, that looks for... thin, unlike most reindeers, which are known for looking incredibly fat. Well, so this woman in uh, Toronto, Nova Scotia, has just been given a fine. She was fined uh, about $234 for feeding deer in her backyard. She's from Toronto, Nova Scotia. So and I kind of sympathize with her. How would she get her. caught? Did she publish it on social media or something? Uh, I, neighbors. Mm. had filed complaints wow. um, so because she was feeding deer through the winter. And uh, but apparently where she, where she lives is quite rural, obviously, because um, it, it, the story mentions that sometimes there's, you know, like lots of deer floating in the in the yard. So they must have a wooded area. Floating. Flo- <laughs> they float as well. Have they got... Uh, so these deer that you've designed... in the snow, yeah. which look like clouds, right. they look like they're floating I above see. clouds. Good. So, uh, do, do they build a raft for this? Or <laughs> yes. are they wearing snowshoes, Pay? Yeah. But uh, so she... It's hard to get a snowshoe on a hoof. A little bit. There's very tiny little snowshoes. Um, But I guess someone who stopped into her house counted up to 13 deer in her backyard one afternoon. Right. So she's been feeding them. And I feel bad for her now that she's been fine because she's... Well, as far as I'm aware, I'm going to take actually the neighbor's side, although I wouldn't be the guy's complaint because I don't think it's very neighborly, not to go straight to the authorities anyway. Um, deer, I don't think there's any shortage of them, is there, at the moment? Well, I guess not. No? So there's... Well, there's not an abundant... No one's like, ah, the deer are taking... They're not like raccoons. They're not like raccoons. They're... There's also many animals they're not like. Better <laughs> <laughs> word, there's like too many. Yeah. No one's like, they're wow, not like there's fish. too many deer. That they're not doesn't like happen. tortoise. They're not... They're nothing like dinosaurs. Like, no. not even close, really, apart from like they've got bones and stuff. But, yes, my point here is that there, there's no necessity to keep them alive. They're not an endangered species. And for thousands of years, they've been getting on just fine. Now, also, you run the risk of slowly domesticating them and making them reliant on Well, that's things. the argument. And I do, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree with that, that they could get used to coming by. Did and, I just somewhat change your mind? On... No, you didn't. I can see both sides. I'm very good but at playing devil's advocate. you can see the other side. Look at you just bending over to my side now. No, that is not it. Oh, Dr. Doolittle over there, just thinking that she was so... All... Nope. Just but that's like that's the, the most I've ever moved you. And the Blue Jays, they, my parents have Blue Jays yes. that come to their um, back porch mm. every afternoon. Every afternoon, they come and they sit on the back porch near the the door, oh. and uh, and they wait because my dad feeds them peanuts. And so they know. It's almost like they watch for the car to come in, and then they know. And my mom was like, look, the blue jay. And then she, what she'll do as a trick, which is I think is a stupid, um, she'll open the sliding glass door, and then she'll put a peanut just inside the door because they get so entertained by the blue jay just kind of like stepping into the house, picking up the peanut, and then flying away. Are they retired? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they should be. <laughs> yeah. Have they, have they not got a TV? <laughs> they do, but my mom only knows how to watch the Weather Network. Oh, bless her. Like she doesn't know any other channel, but that is their entertainment. These are Blue Jays, not Blue Jays fans that no, she's feeding. No, they're not. Yeah, just yeah. actual Blue Jays yeah. flying, flying to the trees, flying into my parents' house. But I got mad at them for that. I'm like, this is a do not think it's funny to have them just step two inches into the house because one day it's just going to like get startled and it's going to like fly around and poo everywhere. Anyway. 
So in conclusion, if I, if you were to sit very firmly on one side of the fence or the other, is it all right to feed deer? If they're very hungry. <laughs> Bless you. In the winter. Right. It, it, you know, it's you should share a little mm. bit. Maybe not every day, but right. you know, it's okay to toss them a little something. Wouldn't it be great if you wrote the laws? Because that is so <laughs> well defined. Let me just look at section 1.2.3. Yeah. It says... Actually, it doesn't really say anything. Really, it just it's just says, a bit grey. If they look hungry, right. give them a little something to eat. If they've it's got okay. brown sad eyes. If they've got big sad eyes <laughs> blinking at you, I say it's okay. But apparently, uh, the laws say it's not. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, Vinny White is coming up next. Paychan.com uh, is where to go to find out interesting things. And enter contests. There you go. I'll right. uh, be back next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in, everyone.